This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, everyone. It is Bryce and Ren here, co-founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO. That's right. Equity Mates' initial party offering is here. FinFest is coming. We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival. With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience. So save the date, 15th of October, 2022. Head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equitymates FinFest is powered by Stake. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett's status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I often say that I'm excited for this episode, yes. but uh, it's tough to be excited at the moment with everything going on. We've got uh, the situation in Ukraine. We've got floods back here at home. Thankful that uh, we get to do this show, and I think we're not going to cover those situations much. There are far, far better people to listen to and to read about than us on that. We're going to stick to our very narrow lane and talk investing. Um, but yeah, just thankful that we're, we're here and you know we're safe and that we get to do this. Yes, absolutely agree with those comments, Ren. And uh, if you are doing it tough out there, we are thinking about you. Not a great time of the, of the year, but quarter, we're back. Yeah, how are you going to bring it out of that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tough, tough one to segue out of. Well, I think, you know, as the world, everything going on in the world, one, there are three things that are constant, death, taxes, and a never-ending reporting season in the United States of America. <laughs> yes. So last Monday, we uh, heard from some of the big CEOs and uh, C-suite executives of tech companies that are experiencing slowing user growth. And this time we're going to be breaking down the supply chain, looking at some of the companies that have been impacted by supply chain constraints 
and uh, hearing from some of their CEOs. So we've got some big ones, Brambles, UPS, we've got Apple, Maersk, West Farmers, Home Depot, and uh, some of the semiconductor manufacturers as well. And this is all thank you to Quarter, uh, one of our favorite apps. Uh, it's Q-U-A-R-T-R, if you're interested, quarter.com, uh, or you can download it on Google Play or Apple iTunes. They are bridging the gap between companies and uh, retail investors, Ren. Apple iTunes. Yeah, or Apple the app Store. store. Apple yeah. App Store. Does anyone use iTunes anymore? I definitely don't. No, no. <laughs> anyway, you can try and find it on iTunes. You'll have more success on the App Store, but... It's worth finding because it is a great app. Yeah. Access to conference calls from some of the biggest companies around the world, uh, reports, transcripts, all in one place. And they've done a great job on updating the app since we last used it. And it's, uh, it's great. It's just if you remember like a year 11 or year 12 history, there's primary sources and secondary sources. <laughs> and Equity Mates and all of our podcast competitors and all of our news competitors like the AFR and Bloomberg, we're all secondary sources. What Quarter gives you access to is a primary source. You hear directly from the companies, the CEOs, CFOs themselves. So I'm going to say it's a great compliment to Equity Mates. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what we've done in this episode, as we did uh, last Monday, is just pull out some uh, companies from around the world to give you a sense of what you can hear from the companies themselves when you listen to these earnings calls. Uh, so we've got some updates from the CEOs and then we've got some analyst questions across a mix of points in the supply chain to give you an idea of how these companies themselves are talking about the supply chain crisis. You know, we all, we've all we all heard about the issues um, across the world with moving ships, uh, moving goods. <laughs> moving uh, ships, <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So let's start with a company that I think is the hidden... You love this company. I do love this oh company. It is it is one of the best businesses I have come across. They slap a couple of nails into a couple of planks of wood, paint it blue, and charge people an arm and a leg. That's Brambles, owner of Shep Pallets, who if you move something in Australia and more and more if you move something around the world, you probably move it on one of their their pallets. That's it. So well, what have they said? To be clear, there's multiple other competitors around <laughs> the world. But let's start with some comments uh, from the leadership team talking about the operating environment which Brambles uh, have found themselves in. Across all our markets, supply chains experience significant disruptions associated with shipping delays, transport and raw material shortages, as well as labour availability challenges and changes in demand due to the emergence of the Delta and Omicron variants of COVID-19. These shortages and disruptions resulted in record levels of input cost inflation and inefficiencies across global supply chains. Notably, retailers and manufacturers have been holding increased safety stock of their inventory to protect their own customers and consumers against supply volatility. For Brambles, Ongoing lumber availability and supply issues have led to pallet manufacturing constraints and have impacted new pallet supply. In response to these disruptions, we've been working with retailers, manufacturers and others in the supply chain to improve pallet flow and availability. To optimize service levels across our customer base, we've implemented demand management initiatives as well as increased pallet purchases to improve availability. We've also deployed advanced data analytic tools and enhanced asset recovery processes to increase pallet collections and returns. 
We expect palace availability will remain challenging for the rest of the financial year and into the first half of FY23. And we will continue to increase pallet purchases and work with our customers in all regions to service demand. So, Ren, they touched on record levels of input, cost inflation, um, and manufacturers and retailers holding high levels of safety stock mm. given what's been going on. Which I think is an interesting trend uh, to watch and something that we heard throughout these earnings calls. For years, we've seen man- we've seen companies play just-in-time yeah. inventory. Yeah. More and more they're playing. Um, I don't know if there's what the alternative saying is. Almost in time. Uh, more than <laughs> in time. Just enough out the back in time. Just early. <laughs> but yeah, and they expect this behaviour of holding safety stock to continue. And, you know, that means that retailers are tying up more of their working capital in inventory, but it does mean if there are further supply chain issues, they're going to have better availability on their shelves. Mm. So let's move to a second clip from the Brambles earnings call where they spoke about this cost inflation and what it meant for revenue. All segments delivered revenue growth in the period, contributing to overall group revenue growth of 8%. Pricing contributed eight points to revenue growth, reflecting increased cost to serve across our businesses. Group volume was broadly in line with the prior year, with pallet availability constraining volume growth during the half. Whilst volumes were flat, net new business growth of 2% was offset by two points of organic volume decline as the business cycled COVID-related demand in the prior year. The net new business growth was largely driven by customer wins in Central, Eastern and Southern Europe and includes rollover benefits from a large APAC region or PC contract which commenced in the prior financial year. So I love to see it, Ren. Revenue up in all segments, 8% revenue growth, um, but organic growth has slowed a little. Well, yeah, 8% revenue growth, but no volume growth. They didn't move anything more. It was just that cost inflation went up 8% and their revenue went up 8% as a result. And that is important because as I started this uh, conversation with Brambles, they touch everything. If you move something, you move it, at least if you move something in Australia, you move it on a Shep or a Loscombe pallet. And uh, if Shep's prices are going up because of inflation, it means the cost to move anything is going up. Mm, mm. It's that silent cost input, kind of like oil. It just is. It's in everything. Well, then that leads to the question: Will the pricing revert, Ren? Will we see see it come back to where it has been? Yeah, I don't want to say this is the most important clip of the episode, but uh, it was one of the more revealing clips that I listened to when we were prepping for this. An analyst asked the question that's really on so many people's minds. At some point, is this pricing going to come back or is this a new normal? If I can start on pricing, obviously, very strong pricing in the half is pellet availability remain tight. Outside of pricing for the higher loss lanes, is there a mechanism for pricing to revert for customers when availability availability does improve or just should we think about this as the new high watermark uh, for pricing? I think I'll go back, um, Anthony, to some of the things we said, I think, uh, nearly 
two or three years ago about what are the environments where you, know, you could expect a, a lot of support for a higher pricing environment. And, and I think the three, there are three things. One is um, you, you need to have rational com competition, which I think we're seeing and, and have seen for some time. Uh, the second is there needs to be um, you know, a, a balance between supply and demand, and if anything, a slight sort of you know, shortage on the, on, the, on the supply side, which of course we're seeing in, in, in significantly at the moment. And then the third one, which we said you know, some time ago, was it'd be good to have a bit of inf cost inflation. Well, of course, we're seeing that some, um, in, in extreme examples now. So if you put all those things, three things together, there's no reason to suppose that, that the, um, the support for elevated pricing is not going to continue for some time. Now, having said that, and, and I think when you look at the split between how we have increased prices, um, yeah, we, we're very clear that you know, some of it is, is through the surcharge mechanism, which absolutely will reverse when the appropriately you know, the underlying commodity price goes down. But the, gen, you know, the, the, the general price increases that we've been putting through the business you know, over the last few years, those are largely there to reflect an increase in cost to serve in terms of complexity of supply chains um, and, and, and us having a better handle on, on the, the, the relative cost to serve for higher, you know, higher risk lanes versus lower risk lanes. So there's no reason that you know, those would go down. Um, the only thing you would, you would anticipate is if you, know, you start having irrational competition, a, a massive surplus of pallets in the market, and then yes, that would put pressure, downwards pressure, because of course you, know, you can imagine the sort of the competitive dynamics changing. But we don't see that you know, happening in the, for, the foreseeable future. And yeah, our objective is to continue to make sure that we are recovering cost to serve and, and inflationary costs. And at the same time, yeah, we've got to recognize that our customers are facing a huge amount of pressure at the moment. So what we're trying to do with, on that front is whilst you know, desperately trying to keep them um, um, supplied as, as best we can, given the, 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 the scarcity of pallets, also ensuring that yeah, we're doing our best on operational efficiencies so that we're not passing everything through to, to our customers and trying to wait, find ways of, of using technology to, to, you know, to make the whole supply chain more efficient, which will clearly will, will benefit everybody. So I think it's, it's a long-winded answer of saying, no, I think yeah, we're, it's here, you know, what we've achieved so far, apart from the surcharge piece, will, will, will be here to stay. But you know, clearly it's quite a complex, um, quite complex situation. I think the other thing that's really important, and we've said this you know, before the recent sort of um, shortage of, of pallets, we must also start showing our customers that we're delivering value in other ways. So, you know, to justify our premier position and the, the other value we give them of just being large and having having the best network in, in the industry. So, that, that, I think that's where I stand on that. So, Ren, it's clear the answer to the question uh, is not for a while at least. The prices won't revert. The CEO thinks that these prices are here to stay. It is hard to see companies... Uh, putting prices up, experiencing revenue growth without fundamentally changing the volume that they're pushing through or the number of products and then reverting back. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, when there's a duopoly of the pallets here, you've got Red Loscombe and Blue Shep. Um, if they're both elevating their prices, you don't expect that to come down. Um, so maybe it will mean competition comes in. Maybe some of the big retailers like Coles and Woolies will put pressure on them. But brambles seem to think that these prices are here to stay and that's going to matter because they're an input in most things 
that's it. <laughs> so let's keep moving. Uh, next one is UPS, uh, United Parcel Service uh, over in the States. We're going to hear from Brian Newman, their C- uh, Chief Financial Officer, as he speaks to their Q4 results and some of the impacts that have weighed on growth. Consolidated revenue increased 11.5% to $27.8 billion. Consolidated operating profit totaled $4 billion, 37.7% higher than last year. Consolidated operating margin expanded to 14.2%, which was 270 basis points above last year. For the fourth quarter, diluted earnings per share was $3.59, up 35% from the same period last year. And full-year EPS was $12.13 per diluted share, an increase of 47.4% year-over-year. All right, Bryce, let's go from that first clip of Brian Newman, UPS's CFO, to a second clip where he talks about uh, how the business performed in these supply chain-challenged conditions. And supply chain solutions increased operating profit by $649 million, up 61.3%, and delivered operating margin of 9.8%, 280 basis points above 2020. 2021 was an outstanding year for UPS. Which brings us back to our outlook for 2022. Global GDP is expected to grow 4.2%. We are continuing to pay close attention to and manage through several external factors, including COVID-19, inflationary pressures, upstream supply chain constraints, and labor shortages. As a result, we expect the environment to remain dynamic in 2022. Most importantly, within this backdrop, we will focus on controlling what we can control and continuing to advance our strategic initiatives. And as Carol stated, We expect to deliver our 2023 consolidated financial targets one year early. So, Bryce, my biggest takeaway from that, they expect global GDP to grow at 4.2%. Yeah, that is good, Ren. Uh, Great for everyone involved if if we do see that. But challenging times ahead. So, Ren, we've done supply chain with Brambles, with UPS uh, delivery, and now we're stepping stepping up the delivery side of things, going to Maersk one of the, the largest, it's a Danish shipping company, one of the largest in the world. Uh, you probably would have seen their logo on the sides of many shipping containers. And uh, look, we know that shipping prices have inflated uh, considerably over the last year or so. And we're going to hear from the company as they discuss the forecast for 2022. We don't frankly have a lot of experience uh, coming out of a pandemic which is a challenge uh, when we have to provide uh, guidance. And for that reason, uh, we have decided to be uh, more specific on the assumptions for the, behind the guidance than we would normally be. So our guidance for the full year 2022 is based on the assumption that we will have a strong first half, starting with the first quarter on par with the fourth quarter last year, and that a normalization in ocean will occur early in the second half of the year as labor returns to work, bottlenecks open up, capacity held up, import congestion is freed up, and new capacity delivered. Based on these assumptions, we see an underlying EBITDA of around 24 billion, an underlying EBIT of around 19 billion, and free cash flow of above 15 billion. In other words, uh, a result very much in line with uh, 2021. 
On the demand situation in the ocean, uh, we expect that we will grow in line with the global market demand of around somewhere between 2 and 4% in 2022. But also, of course, here the, the, the outlook is uh, uncertain. On CapEx guidance, the expectation uh, for 2022 to 23, accumulated CapEx of 9 to 10 billion, driven by intensified growth in logistics and services and ESG investments, and uh, CapEx guidance for 2021 to 2022 remains unchanged at uh, 7 billion. So, Bryce, a few big takeaways from that Maersk uh, clip. Uh, they think that the ocean supply chain will unwind in the second half of 2022, which is good means that we've got this story this supply chain story lasting a little bit longer and that does align with uh the commentary we heard from brambles in the first clip where they expect these supply chain issues to last into the start of f23 so the end of calendar year 2022 seems to be where a lot of these companies think things will unravel or cynically they're wrong. <laughs> no, well, I was going to say maybe they just don't want to try and forecast beyond that. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty pretty silly to be, oh, start of 2024, yeah, we're going to yeah, see yeah. everything unwind. Yeah. Yeah. Two other things that I took from that. So they think demand will grow between 2 and 4% in 2022, sort of in line with the global economy. That's in line with UPS's prediction for global GDP, GDP growth around 4%. So it's interesting. You start to listen to more of these earnings calls and you start to see a lot of these numbers sort of line up a little bit. But the final thing was just free cash flow of $15 billion. Mm. Ocean shipping is a good business to be in. If you're in the right one. It would be a tough, if you're in the right be one. A tough business to manage. Like yeah. I couldn't imagine being the CEO of yeah. how I don't even know how many massive um, container ships Maersk run. Can't be too upset at $15 billion free cash flow. And Bryce, one point that wasn't uh, in this clip, that wasn't related to supply chains per se, but was really interesting. So um, people can download the quarter app and have a listen. Maersk are one of the most ambitious companies in terms of carbon neutrality and um, like greening their fleet, which is surprised, surprised me for a container ship company. I mean, it's pretty rookie if they don't publicly say that they're making some sort of so but they're not just they're not paying lip service to it like they are investing big dollars but they're, are they actually changing their fleet or are yeah, they just buying yeah, credits no they're building i think hydrogen powered ships or maybe not hydrogen maybe it was something else oh, i need to listen to the earnings call again but yeah they're building new ships and they're retrofitting old ships they plan to be carbon neutral by 2040 I mean, they're, they're Danish, so you know that that pressure in Europe and that focus in Europe is a lot more focused than anywhere else in the world, I, I would say. But it was pretty impressive to hear what they like. They were serious about it. Yeah, it's good. So the next one ran Apple, a company that continues to just beat records quarter on quarter. It's astounding, despite supply constraints from COVID, they've done it again. And uh, here we're going to hear from Tim Cook, a couple of the big numbers. Today, we are proud to announce Apple's biggest quarter ever. Through the busy holiday season, we set an all-time revenue record of nearly $124 billion, up 11% from last year, and better than we had expected at the beginning of the quarter. And we are pleased to see that our active install base of devices is now at a new record with more than 1.8 billion devices. We set all-time records for both developed and emerging markets and saw revenue growth across all of our product categories except for iPad, 
which we said would be supply constrained. As expected, in the aggregate, we experienced supply constraints that were higher than the September quarter. Before I discuss our results in greater detail, I want to first acknowledge the toll that COVID continues to have on communities around the world. In many places, case counts are higher and health systems more strained than at any point throughout the pandemic. On behalf of all of us at Apple, I want to extend our deep gratitude to the scientists, doctors, nurses, and so many others on the front lines of combating COVID-19. This is our eighth quarter reporting results in the shadow of the pandemic. And while I can't say it gets any easier, I can say I'm incredibly proud of the way our teams have come together and continue to innovate on behalf of our customers. So Ren, as I said, always delivers time and time again, record quarter, 124 billion in rev up 11%, uh, virtually records across all of their categories by the iPad. Amazing stuff. Not surprising. I don't pay the iPad. <laughs> <laughs> no, the iPad has a place, but... Yeah, I don't pay it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, what's next? But, uh, yeah, all right, let's move on. Uh, let's not get bogged down in talking about the merits of different Apple products. Uh, next is a company that's close to my heart, my former employer, some of the best executives and capital managers in Australia, <laughs> a company that owns some of the two, the two best retail businesses in Australia, oh, in Bunnings please. and Kmart, West Farmers. And uh, they are obviously feeling the supply chain crunch yep. across all their retail businesses, but all in different ways, interestingly enough. And um, Rob Scott, the CEO, one of Australia's greatest executives, uh, talks about this in this clip here. Do you think there's a risk that these inflationary pressures aren't transitory and while the consumer's in a reasonably good place now, and presumably could take some price increases if you do eventually need to start to lift price, the consumer's not in as good a place and elasticity would be bigger. And you spoke a bit about margins, but would you be willing to tolerate short-term earnings declines to maintain your value position across your retail business? Well, Michael, it's Rob here. I'll, I'll talk at a high level and probably there are slightly nuanced answers across our diff the different categories and so forth. I think the first point to note is that the cost pressures are coming through in different ways and in different timings. And you know, as Ian mentioned there, if you look at, look at the result in the first half, there really wasn't, given the very long lead time associated with a lot of Kmart products and the fact that we control the sourcing process, we didn't really see much in the way of pressures, but uh, cost pressure but we are seeing it as we look uh, a year ahead. Now, we can't predict what's going to happen beyond the next 12 months, but you know, we do know that there are raw material cost pressures coming through. In businesses like Bunnings, as Mike has said in the past, there, there have been some very noticeable cost price pressures that have flown through for various reasons, such as uh, timber, timber steel are two, uh, two very common ones that we've talked about. And then Sarah's also talked about some of the constraint, uh, supply constraints globally around semiconductors and some of the cost pressure on things like ink and toners and, um, and tech generally. So what, you know, it's hard for us to predict what's going to happen beyond the next year or so. But uh, we, you know, as I said, we think that uh, this is going to, inflation pressure will create some challenges for consumers. Uh, we are very confident in our ability across our businesses to deliver the best value possible in the market. 
And by doing that, uh, we're confident that we'll be able to grow, you know, grow volume better than others perhaps would. Uh, and look, it's once again, it's really hard to predict what margin is. We don't we don't run our business by trying to back solve to a, a margin. We run our business trying to set our set our prices at a level that's really competitive for our uh, for our customers. Uh, and then if we get that right, given the overall health of the economy and the overall health of the Australian consumer, I think there is plenty of opportunity to grow margin dollars over the long term. If inflation was acute enough to um, put pressure on earnings, would you tolerate short-term earnings declines to improve market share and maintain your value position? It depends on a whole range of, range of factors, Michael. I guess the, the point I just continue to emphasise is that there are two ways of approaching this in consumer-based business. One is to be really focused on short-term margin. And I think having looked at many everyday low-price retailers over multiple cycles all over the world, the companies that do that and try and, for, you know, try and artificially uh, maintain a short-term margin outcome, it generally ends up very bad for them from a shareholder value point of view. So we'll continue to manage our businesses for the long term. We don't get overly hung up by monthly, quarterly, even half-year margin percentage numbers. We're very much focused on growing margin dollars over the long term. So I'm sorry I'm not answering your question, but it just that's not you know we don't think of it the way that you're you're saying it. So Bryce, a few key things I think to take away from there. But the the headline for me is how uh, West farmers aren't going to be drawn on that short term margin discussion. They're you know focusing on the long term, focusing on growing their margin over the long term, just not willing to engage with the analyst question. Which great, yeah, love I like love to hear that. All right, Ren. Well, we've got Home Depot, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, and ASML coming up. So before we jump into those, let's take an ad break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So we went from Wes Farmers Retail to now uh, a great retail company over in the States, and that is Home Depot, Ren. And uh, let's hear from them about what they're currently thinking on all things supply chain and uh, inflationary pressures. My first question is on inventory. As you sit here, it's, it's up a little more than 50% over 2019 levels, sales up a little less than 40%. Just how are you thinking about that gap and and what the right level of inventory is as we move through 22. 
I know you're, it, it was a comment earlier about landing product earlier. So just maybe talk us through the kind of the inventory situation where you sit right now and, and how you see that flowing for the year. Peter, a couple couple of comments. I mean, first of all, we feel good about the makeup of our inventory. As John said, we we are working to bring goods in early to make sure that we're ready for spring. Uh, you know, that's our busiest time of the year. I think an important thing to step back and look at is we delivered, you know, 5.2 turns. That turn level was higher than pre-pandemic levels, which ran 4.9. So we feel really good about the inventory productivity that we have in place. Last year's 5.8 was off of a, a scenario where we just didn't have the level of goods for a good portion of the year that we that we wanted to have. And then, you know, finally, it, as it relates to the inventory, you know, as it's been referenced on the on the call here, we're we're in a still in many categories, we're in a storm-like environment. The more goods we get, the more we sell. The merchants and the supply chain team have been working like crazy to continue to build inventory to find out what the high level of demand actually is. So we're kind of watching the productivity at the same time. We're not concerned about the inventory build at, at $5 billion at all. So interesting, Ren, that they're feeling pretty good about their inventory levels. They're heading into the spring, which is the busiest time of year. The more goods we get, the more we sell. So um, they've been working under the pump and... They're feeling pretty good. I mean, Home Depot is in a great position at the moment. Like as they came out of COVID, there was that whole timber. Um, you remember when timber spiked to stupid levels and like they couldn't keep it on the shelves. But what we're seeing in the States is just a home building bonanza as as house prices go up, as housing supply is too low. And a lot of people are staying at home and renovating because they can't afford to move or because they're worried they won't be able to buy a house if they sell their own. Um, so new home building, home renovations, Home Depot, of course they're not worried because everything, housing is just so hot in America at the moment. So I wasn't surprised by how not concerned they were. This next clip, uh, though, touches on some of the investments that they're making um, in such a hot market. And so let's, uh, let's listen to how they're approaching it at the moment. Um, so I was hoping you could give an update um, just on the one supply chain strategy uh, that you had discussed back at the Analyst Day in 2019. And what, what were you ultimately able to get done in those last two years adding FDCs, RDCs, MDOs? I mean, there were a lot of facilities that were planned in the CapEx outlook, and I'm sure there was some disruption due to COVID. So just curious how much of that CapEx outlook for 22 might include some of those one supply chain investments. Uh, as Ted called out, our supply chain is an important component of the ecosystem we are building to better serve our customers and, and drive productivity. As you know, the intent of our supply chain transformation was to build the fastest, most efficient, and reliable delivery network for home improvement products, reaching approximately 90% of the population with same or next day service for parcel big and bulky and, and flatbed deliveries. Our original supply chain investment plan uh, called for approximately 150 new facilities. And while many of these facilities will be complete by the end of 2022, some will take a bit longer due to the constraints we've seen as it relates to COVID and also taking into account our recent uh, acquisition of HD supply. In terms of our market delivery operations, or MDOs, 
We expect to have approximately 85 of the 100 that we plan fully operational by year end. In terms of our market delivery centers, we have a handful open today, but expect those will take a bit more time to roll out given the acquisition of HD supply, which we required that we briefly pause the rollout in order to determine how legacy HD supply assets would factor into our broader supply chain plans. This led us to the decision to rethink the scope of our MDC facilities, which were originally intended to carry the most delivered store SKUs as well as MRO SKUs. We decided that we would leverage the legacy HD supply network for our MRO fulfillment, freeing up capacity in our MDCs so that we can better operate as a local direct fulfillment center for store-based SKUs. Lastly, in terms of our flatbed distribution centers, we expect to end the year with approximately 15, or about half of our intended goal. So, Ren, we did a deep dive on Home Depot a year or two ago and did speak about the, I think it was part of our community stock pitch or something, maybe, maybe three years ago. I think you did a deep dive I on did, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it was at the time that they were really putting a lot of this supply chain investment into place and focusing on home delivery and, and the technology. So it's good to see that it's starting to play out. Yeah, reaching 90% of the population with same or next day service. That's mm. pretty impressive. Yeah. You compare it to Bunnings, who, you know, I just gave West Farmers a massive rap about how good a retailer <laughs> they are. Chill out. Bunnings was late to the, the online and delivery yeah, game. Big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, a couple to go. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, TSMC. Uh, look, there's been a lot of uh, pressures on these guys. Semiconductors have been in short supply and uh, we're going to hear from the company, CFO, about the uh, demand and expected spend for 2022. Every year, our CAPEX is spent in anticipation of the growth that will follow in the future years. We are witnessing a structural increase in underlying semiconductor demand underpinned by the industry megatrend of 5G-related and HPC applications. In 2021, we spent 30 billion U.S. dollars to capture the strong demand and support our customers' growth. In 2022, our capital budget is expected to be between 40 to 44 billion U.S. dollars. Out of the 40 to 44 billion CAPEX for 2022, between 70 and 80% of the capital budget will be allocated for advanced process technologies, including 2 nanometer, 3 nanometer, 5 nanometer, and 7 nanometer. About 10% will be spent for advanced packaging and mask making, and 10 to 20% will be spent for specialty technologies. Our depreciation expense is expected to increase by low to mid-teens. So, Bryce, in news that will surprise no one, <laughs> semiconductor demand just continues to grow and go from strength to strength. High-performance computational systems, HPC uh, applications, 5G, uh, it's basically just like... If it's all systems go. If there's one if there's one industry that is just going to be the linchpin for the global economy for the next sort of 20 years... Uh, or longer it's how much silicon can we <laughs> jam into everything we make I know. <laughs> cars fridges phones computers 
uh, just get more chips in there. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, to close out, Ren, look, if we're experiencing a lot of demand for silicon and, and semiconductors, then companies that feed into these companies and supply the semiconductor industry, you would imagine, are experiencing plenty of demand as mm. well. And one company that is experiencing that is ASML. I think they're listed over in, in Amsterdam yeah. from memory. Um, and here we've got the CEO, Peter Weninick, and he's chatting about the unprecedented demand that they're seeing and, and uh, how impact the impact of COVID on their workforce and supply chain. But also the reliability in 13 weeks, we're close to 200 hours of continuous working without the system having to stop once. So deep UV, extremely important for our customers and for our business. And we are working off a high maturity base, uh, which helps our customers to get more wafers out with an ever-increasing complexity in the production process, where deep UV will also help. You know, it's the the what we call the overlays, the positioning accuracy from a deep UV layer to an EUV layer is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And also there we make big progress to help our customers manage the complexity. Now, I talked about wafer capacity, talk about output. Now, what do you do in a market where we are significantly undershipping the demand of the market? We have to basically give the customer more wafers. So how do we do that? We do that by shipping more systems and by making the systems more productive. So when you look at this slide, you look at deep UV, it's on the left-hand side and EUV on the right-hand side. We're planning to increase the number of units from 2020 to 2025 with 50%, but also make them more productive so that the number of waivers out is double. And with EUV, we're going to get twice the number of systems out yeah? and increasing the wafer capacity threefold because the productivity goes up. Now, these are numbers that we are internally challenging. So, Bryce, who would have known that a lithography machine, uh, which is the machines that ASML make, uh, just become the most important thing <laughs> in know, the world? I know, I uh, know. But anyway, they, it is the joy for me of investing that I get to learn about these things. I remember the first time I ever heard about ASML and lithography machines. I wonder, was it the same for both of us? Nick Griffin? Nick Griffin. Yeah, Nick Griffin the best from Monroe company Partners. you've never heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so people can go and listen to that episode. It's in our Equity Mates feed. But that was the first time we heard about the company probably a year ago. A bit more. And yeah. they have just become so central to Everywhere. everything since. Yeah. So... Um, it's great that we can hear directly from the CEO and from the company leaders. Uh, that's a big thanks to Quarter to making these earnings calls that traditionally were so inaccessible, on demand, easy to access from your phone uh, with a whole bunch of other features around it. So a good one to finish on, a really interesting look at supply chains. Uh, I don't know how I feel about supply chain and what it's going to do to inflation. It feels like there's a lot more to go in this story after hearing those clips? I don't know what you feel. Well, yeah, I think it's obvious that the companies are are a bit unsure themselves trying to forecast out, you know, forecast quite a, quite a fair way out. Mm. But there's absolutely no doubt that this is impacting a lot of uh, the price inflation that we're seeing at the yeah. moment. Yeah, and, and it's going to materialise. If it keeps going like this, it's going to materialise in two ways. Either cost inflation, you know, like we're going to pay more for things, or companies will allow their margins to fall. They, they'll wear the cost, kind of like what West Farmers were talking about. So, um, you know, as investors, we might be paying more for things or the companies we own might see smaller profits. 
Some companies like Brambles uh, might benefit. They don't have to do anything more. They just charge 8% more for it. Um, So it depends on where your companies are sitting in the supply chain, how they're going to be impacted. But it's a fascinating... I mean, there's always something going on in the investing world and this is one of the big stories for the moment. Yeah, it is absolutely fascinating. So that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you to Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R.com. Make sure you go and check it out if you're interested in listening to many more earnings calls, checking out their reports, having a look at the transcripts. It's it's a great resource. Links to uh, to download it and to their website will be in our show notes. But otherwise, Ren, we're we're going to continue with our final instalment of uh, earnings season uh, next Monday. Yep. Uh, but this Thursday, we are lucky enough to be hearing from one of our uh, returning guests, Tobias Carlyle, yes. a deep value investor who, for a long time, has been slugging it out as growth companies have just gone on absolute tear. And we caught up with him, and boy, was he in good spirits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've na- uh, I think we named him our US correspondent and our uh, value investor correspondent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a good good uh, look at a different side of the market to one that we normally talk about. That's it. Can't wait. And uh, thanks for your support. Make sure you rate and review us if you can. And uh, we'll pick it all up next week. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.